<clears throat> I try to stay here uh, frequently, uh, pretty simple on mission of, I think, the church in general, but hopefully our church, particularly Church of the Apostles, is that uh, we want to make disciples that make disciples. And when we say that, so we want to grow in obedience to Jesus in every area of our life, that we want to grow in the knowledge and understanding of God's grace to us and what he's done and that that changes us and, and brings us into fuller uh, what God has made us for as we go out <clears throat> and seek to make disciples as we're growing in that. But there's a struggle in the midst of all of that, all, uh, of, of that mission for all of us. And so growing in obedience applies that sometimes we're disobedient and sometimes we're not fully fooling God. And this is a lifelong process of seeking to follow him completely and totally. Uh, we've talked about the last few weeks, if you've been with us, we've been walking through the book of Jonah. And what we see is God's prophet that he calls and tells him to go uh, to Nineveh, this great city that's in Assyria. It's a scary place. And he tells him to go. And what we see Jonah do is turn and go the other way. He runs from God, thinking he knows better based on circumstances in his life and what he sees in front of him and what's happening. He says, I'm not going to do what he doesn't even say that he doesn't say anything. He just goes down and he buys a ticket to go the opposite way. And he starts to run from God. And that can be our case sometimes when things are scary like they were for Jonah. Go to these very difficult, scary uh, people that were incredibly violent and a lot of things there that he saw. And he goes the other way, wasn't making sense to him. And so he turns and goes the other way and runs from God. We do that as well. When we read the book of Jonah, whether we want to admit it or not, we're kind of faced with this mirror that we do the same thing at different times. At different times in our life, we run from God. Now, sometimes that's unknowingly. There's a whole lot of reasons why. Uh, sometimes it's uh, ignoring God. Uh, I like to say when we talk about sin, that sin is ignoring God and the world he created. Or sometimes I say sin is rebelling against God and the world he created. I like ignoring in this sense, uh, we like to kind of soften the edges of our sin. And so we just kind of pretend like we don't know what God said. Or we kind of make excuses for why we're not going to do those things. And so we just ignore it. Right. Uh, if you've been around small children, they're really good at ignoring the things that you tell them to do that they don't want to do. Even not so small children, but children in general. Right. Oh, I didn't hear you say that, Dad. They say that a lot. Right. Uh, I didn't know you wanted me to do that now. Uh, I thought you meant later, right? Ignoring instead of obeying. And so ignoring God and the world he created is sin, but that is running from God. We're doing the opposite of what he's told us. And so it can be very uh, easy to slide into that kind of running from God, even though it may not be as blatant as what we see Jonah doing. That's why we need God's word in our life. We need to let him uh, stand over us. That's why we need to be in a community of believers surrounded by others that are helping us walk out our faith because our hearts are deceitful and it's easy to be kind of blinded. It's easy to get really good at making excuses for why we don't do some of the things God tells us to do. It can be very subtle in our running because we trust ourselves too much. And all of these things are at play with Jonah. But today in our passage, we see Jonah for the first time stop running. He kind of gets exposed. 
And I want us to think this morning uh, kind of broadly about this idea of running from God. Uh, First of all, that we all run from God. That's where we're going to start anyway. But then secondly, I want us to think about not only do we all run from God, but I want us to think about the ways that we do and why we do, because maybe that helps shine a light on some of those more subtle areas that maybe we don't even recognize where we are. But that's the second thing. But then thirdly, I want us to see why we don't have to. Why we can stop running because we're going to see Jonah come to a place where he finally stops running. And it teaches us about how we get to that place where we can stop running as well. And so let's just think big picture about this idea of the different times in our life where we're running from God. And so what you have here, if you haven't been with us, the story of Jonah is God says, go to Nineveh, to this great city that is the capital of Assyria. It's a scary place with a violent people. And so he immediately goes down and he gets on a boat and he goes the other way. And it says God brings this great storm And he's asleep in the bottom of this boat that he's gotten on. And they go wake him up and they say, pray to your God. And what are you doing? And help us. And who are you? And that's where we're going to pick up. Verse nine. And they said to he said to them. So Jonah speaking here. I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this thing that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Right. So all of a sudden it kind of comes to light what Jonah's doing, that he's running from God. Everyone's aware of it now. They're freaked out over it. So what we saw before is they cast lots to see why the storm and what's going on. This seems to be supernatural. It all points to Jonah. They go wake him up and they find out that he's running from God. And so you see Jonah running from God. And I want us just to think about this idea of all of us running from God at different times in our life. Had Jim read this morning from Romans chapter three, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, every single one of us has ignored God and the world he created. And we've done it over and over again. And the heart of that is this delusion that we are competent to run our own lives on our own. That I can do this, that I've got this in and of myself. Maybe we even it's a little more spiritual. I'll ask God sometimes when I need his help. But generally speaking, I can do this on my own. And I think if we're real honest and we stop and think about it, that that's oftentimes the way we go through the day. We just go about doing our business and doing the things ourselves. And then when things get tough or I'm faced with something, then I stop and go, oh, God, help me on this. But the truth is we go through the day living in that delusion a lot of times that I can do this on my own. Now, it doesn't mean we live that way all the time. I think as a believer, we kind of float back and forth between trusting God and walking with him. And then sometimes trying to take the reins back. Exactly what Jonah does here. God tells him to do something that's like, no, this doesn't make sense for me. So I'm going the other way. And we do the same thing as at different times. Sometimes we even do the same thing Uh, In a very subtle manner, we might be faced with a difficult situation and we ask brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside us and to give us advice. I'm not sure what to do here. And so they come and they say, hey, this is what I think scripture says. And they speak truth to you and they go and you go, I don't really like that. I'm not really sure that's what God wants. So, hey, what do you think over here? And what do you think? And we kind of shop for something that feels better to us. Instead of being confronted with the actual truth of God's word, sometimes we go, "Ah, that doesn't make sense to me. And it can be very subtle and it can even be very spiritual. I've gone and got uh, 
uh, other people to weigh in. And five of them told me to clearly do this thing. And one person over here said, maybe you should do it another way. And I went, "Ah, that's the one. You ever done that? You keep asking until you get the answer you want. And I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. I've done that. There's tons when it's like, I don't think I really want to do that. And so we do that. and It's a very subtle way, but we end up running from God. And we're really good at making excuses on why we do. In Jeremiah, it talks about how our heart is a deceitful thing. That in our flesh, apart from walking in the spirit, we're really good at making excuses for the things that we do. We're really good at kind of framing it in such a way. And so sometimes I think that's one of the harder things uh, as a pastor. In the job of a pastor is we're supposed to be speaking the truth to one another and helping each other walk that out. And when you come to someone who is a believer, who loves the Lord, and you say, this is clearly what Scripture says, and they go, yeah, I'm probably not going to do that. Or they kind of go, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they make an excuse of why that doesn't work in their life. And you go, oh, but that's what it says right there. Again, I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. We all do that at different times. It brings us out of our comfort zone. I'll just be real honest. One of the struggles I have is when I see things clearly and I feel like God's telling me I need to talk to that person, I try to put it off. Because I don't like the confrontation. It's like, ugh. I don't want to have to tell them that. I don't want to have to go directly to them and say, I see this and I think this is a problem. And that's a lack of faith on my part. That's unbelief, not believing what God's clearly told us to do. And so wrestle with that. Maybe it'll just resolve itself or I make it real spiritual. I'll just pray more about it. Maybe God will take care of it. And sometimes he does in his graciousness. He resolves things before I even get to it. But sometimes it's me just being disobedient And so we do that at different times and we start to run from God, right? And part of the reason I think we do that is because we get so inundated with this idea that I can run my life on my own. I believe in this. uh, I live in a competency delusion that I've got it together and I can generally do this on my own. It's like there's a joke I heard uh, a while back. Two fish, two young fish are swimming through the water and they pass an older fish going the other way. And the older fish says, how's the water today, boys? And they swim on a little farther and one fish turns to the other and he says, what in the world is water? And it's that idea of like the fish in the water can't see anything else, right? And so when I live in the delusion that I've got this on my own, I don't see it a lot of the times. Again, that's why we need to be in a community of believers and letting God's word stand over us because we slip into that so easily. That's the heart of our sinfulness, that I'm the center of the world and I've got this and I don't need anyone else. And so we all do that at different times. That's exactly what we see Jonah doing in this first chapter. God clearly tells him where to go and what he wants him to do. And he immediately goes the other way. And he makes uh, he goes and he he doesn't do what God tells him to do. Instead of going to Assyria, he gets on a boat and literally goes the other way. Now, I think if you got into his mindset, and I'm guessing here, I don't know exactly what Jonah was thinking in every way. He would have a lot of good reasons why he was doing what he was doing. I'm sure he could give you some even spiritual sounding reasons of why he was doing the exact opposite of what God told him to do. But the problem is when we we start to operate this way and we get really good at making those excuses... We start to not listen to others. 
We're not in community. I think a lot of times when we get into this delusion that I'm self-sufficient and I can do this, I can do this myself, it leads us out of community. I've got this. I don't need anybody else. I'm good. And so we, we, it kind of perpetuates because no one's speaking the truth to you because you're isolating and you're doing it on your own. But when that happens and we get into that, what happens is we don't clearly see our sin. And when we don't clearly see our sin, when we don't see the areas that we're running from God, then we don't know the need for our uh, for grace. We don't understand fully what Jesus has done for us. And instead of growing in dependence on Jesus in every situation, the opposites happens and it reinforces that sufficiency delusion. I've got it. I'm good. And so we do that. We do that within the church. We gather together on Sunday. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm good. You good? Yeah, I'm good. Right? We got it all together. I don't need anything. I'll let you know I'm good. Right? That's not true of any one of us. I don't think. If you really have it all together and everything's good, come please see me. I need your help. <laughs> I need to know what you're doing <laughs> and how you're getting there. But we all struggle at different times. But here's the thing. When we fall into that delusion, which I think is exactly what happens with Jonah here. He's fallen into that sufficiency delusion, thinking he's got it all together. He's doing his own thing. He's running from God. But when that happens, God is gracious. And what he does is he allows us to feel the consequences of our sin, which is exactly what we've seen with Jonah. First, through the storm, he's completely running from God. We talked about this two weeks ago. I'm not going to re-preach that sermon. You can go listen to it from two weeks ago. But God is at work in the consequences of our sin to awaken us to our sinfulness. And he does that very thing here with Jonah. And so know this. If you're a believer and you're hiding parts of your life that you're running from God and you're keeping things back, you're not, as First John says, walking in the light, you're walking in the darkness and you're keeping little areas. Maybe it's unforgiveness in your heart towards others. Maybe it's sexual sin. Maybe it's uh, what you're doing with your money or how you're living or those things that are there. God is gracious enough that he will shine a light on those things. And that is God's grace when he allows you to feel the consequences of your sin. And that's exactly what he does with Jonah here. Jonah is brought to a place where he gets uh, exposed, right? He comes up and they wake him up and they bring him out and they show him and they say, uh, what have you done? Right. Verse 10, the men were exceedingly afraid and they said to him, what is this that you have done for the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. And all of a sudden he gets exposed. All of this is happening because of your sin and it's a light shined on it. And that is God's grace in Jonah's life. We don't like to think of that. And we think about like the areas of our life that we're holding back, that God may expose those things and that that is his grace. And so the first thing I just want us to consider here is we all run in different ways. But I want us to think about how and why we run, because that helps bring those things to light. It helps us recognize and so when we think about that big picture of we run from God in different ways, there's a couple things that I think come straight to mind throughout Scripture, but even with what we see here with Jonah. 
And one of those is, is we've hit on this the last couple of weeks. I keep going back to this verse in verse nine. When they said to him, they're asking, who are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Right. So he professes his fear of the Lord. Right. That's a healthy thing in the Bible and awe of who God is. And I want to honor him. And so I fear the Lord, the God who made the sea and the air and all of it. The God of heaven, I fear him. And what he's saying is he's pronouncing his faith while he's in the midst of his disobedience. And there's a disconnection there by what he's saying and what he's living. Right. And I think one of the ways we run from God is we do uh, we kind of tell ourselves like I'm saved. I've got this in and of me, but then my life doesn't add up or the opposite way. And I think opposite way is the way we do it a lot of times within the church. And what I mean by that is I put on a good front. Put on a good face and where you see me and where you talk to me, everything's good. And I got it together and I love God and I love my family and everything's whatever. But my heart is is wicked. And I'm harboring sin and I'm wrestling with those things. And so we make an outward appearance that we've got it all together when our heart is far from God. And so what I'd say is we're not addressing the heart issue, but it's an outward compliance thing. And there's a very limited ceiling in our growth of what God has called us to be, if that is true. Because God says he wants your heart and that as his grace affects your heart, it then changes the outward. And if we do it the other way, that is a dead end street. It's kind of like a very low ceiling on where you're going to go. You know what I mean by that? There's there's little potential because true change comes from your heart seeing who God is and then it works its way out. It doesn't work the other way. Think of it like this. I'll give you a basketball analogy. (laughs) I haven't used one in a while, but (laughs) I grew up playing basketball and then coaching basketball. I was a good basketball player because I could shoot. I was not very fast and I couldn't jump very high. So you better be able to shoot if you can't do the other two. But I got really good at shooting and I worked really hard at it and I shot a whole lot growing up. And then I watched videos and I had coaches and they taught you how to hold the ball and how your feet are supposed to be and where your elbow is supposed to be and what you're supposed to look at and how you follow through and all these things. You can get pretty good at shooting a basketball without those things. Just repetition. Your elbow can be way out here and your feet can be all messed up and you can still get to where you make pretty many. But there's going to come a point where you get a ceiling. You're not going to get any better because all the mechanics are wrong. But if you get the mechanics right, you can get really good at it. And it's the same thing in our sanctification. If we just operate on the outward things, this is what a good Christian does. And you have a checklist and you follow those things, but your heart is not being affected by who God is. If it's not flowing from a heart change of seeing and savoring who God is and what he's done, there's a very limited ceiling on where that goes. Not interested. I think I said this a couple weeks ago. Not interested in us as a church growing and outward where we look really polished and everything's great and our hearts are far from God. I'm not interested in behavior modification. I'm interested in us seeing and savoring who God is. And he gives us a new heart of flesh and he begins to change our affections from the inside out. And if we make our lives about outward appearance without the inward heart part, we're never going to see that change. There's going to be a very limited ceiling. And in fact, we can be running from God and doing that. And that leads me to kind of the second point on the way that we run from God in that. 
is what we do is we exchange the truth of God of the way he changes us by his grace and who he is in this heart affection. And we make a works based righteousness rather than a gospel centered Christianity. Let me explain what that means. Maybe you've heard that before. Works based righteousness is I think I'm good with God because I'm a pretty good person. I do these things. I, I go to church and I'm in a small group and I do a Bible study and I volunteer once every couple months and uh, I, I give money to those that need it. And so therefore, God accepts me. I'm a pretty good person. That is works based righteousness. Again, I'll go back to why I asked Jim to read Romans three. Because it says real clearly in Romans 3 that no one will be justified before God by the works that they do. You can never do enough. It doesn't work that way. And here's how you can run from God doing all those good things. And this is ever so subtle. So please hear me. When we get to that point, what happens is the, the deceptiveness of our heart starts to believe that we can earn our worth before God by what we do. And if you're operating that way, instead of running to God and his grace to you, all the good things you're doing are actually taking you further from God. Because you think in your doing and in your working that you're earning this thing before God. Look at And, and here's the thing that it does. I think that's exactly what Jonah was doing. He sees himself as the Hebrew and he very proudly and I fear God and I'm this and I and he's not doing any of those things. And it's led him to look down on other people. Right. We get to the end of this book. I hate to tell you, there's going to be a glimmer of hope for Jonah here. And then it just gets worse. He kind of goes back to his old thinking and he looks down on these other people. And the reason that he looks down on them is he doesn't see that they're deserving of God's grace because he doesn't understand the grace that God has given to him. And when we operate in works based righteousness, I am good with God by what I do. It leads us to look down on other people because we think our relationship with God is earned by what we've done. I'm pretty good. God must be pleased with me. And so we get up each day and we operate in that heart of this delusion that I'm kind of helping God out. God's really good to have me on his team. Right. And we start operating that way. And that is so deceitful because our heart, our sinfulness, the deceitfulness of our heart wants to make it that we're the center of the world. God responds to me. I'm the center of it. Look at what I'm doing. But that's a lie. And it leads us to actually be running from God, but at the same time being very, very religious. And so it's a uh, one of the enemies of the gospel is when we become works-based righteousness, what I do rather than what God has done for me in Jesus. And I think when we operate that way, heart change doesn't happen like that because we're not experiencing and seeing and savoring the grace of God in our life. It's all about me and what I do. Now, the other end of the spectrum on the way that we run is we say, I am saved by grace and grace alone, and it's all Jesus, and he's done every bit of it, and so now I can do whatever I want. So we call licentiousness. It's the other extreme. Everything that I do is covered by God's grace, so I can do whatever I want. God is gracious, and he's good. And again, we can make it sound very religious. All I care about is grace 
And it's all God's grace. And that's true. You are saved by the grace of God and what Jesus has done for you. And it's completely and totally his doing. But then in Romans 6, Paul says, so what should we do now? We're saved by grace. So should we go on sinning that grace abounds all the more? He says, by no means. How can you who died to sin still live in it? Don't you know that you are a new creation? You walk in this newness of life because of what Jesus has done for you. And so we can make that the opposite. And we can run from God in that. Oh, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I sinned again. I did the same thing again. It's okay. God's grace covers it. That is true in the sense of we need to remind one another that our identity is found in what Jesus has done for us. But when we start to operate that way, that is the deceitfulness and the wickedness of my heart. God's grace covers it all. And I continue to say that and I continue to do that. And you know what the Bible says about that? It's that you probably don't understand the grace of God. That you probably don't know who Jesus is if your life is completely marked by Habitual sin that you enjoy and you go after and you continue to live in and then you just chalk it up. Well, God will cover it. Because the grace of God and truly understanding the grace of God changes your heart. It changes your affections. It changes the way you see things. Now, that doesn't mean that you wake up one day and everything's great and you're perfect in every way and you honor God in everything you do. No, it is a lifelong thing. But there is a change happening. And the Bible says if there's no change at all, then you probably don't understand who Jesus is. It's kind of a scary thing. It's a warning that's in the Bible. And so both of those things can subtly take us to this place of running from God. Especially when we get to to the licentiousness part, right? When we say that, that grace abounds, it covers everything, so I just do what I want. And I keep doing it. It's a scary place because what I've seen in our culture, even within the church today, it is a good thing that we talk about grace. Absolutely. We're going to say that every week you are saved by what Jesus has done. You rest in his finished work. It is all him. Amen. And we want to praise him for that. And that is good. But then when God says, hey, you need to spend time in my word. And somebody goes, that's legalism. Saved by grace. No, that's obedience. God clearly says that in his word. He says, you abide in me and my word in you and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we put it in in flowery, uh, spiritual language. It's all grace and it doesn't matter. No, it does matter. You are not your own and you are bought with a price and you are now his. And these are the ways that he works in and through us to draw us closer to him doesn't save you doesn't give you more of his grace it doesn't put you closer to him or him loving you more but it is obedience to growing in what that looks like and those areas are so subtle because our heart is deceitful oh you don't have to do that it's all grace or he goes you better do that or god's not going to love you well they're both wrong So how do we get to a place where we're not running in those ways? How do we get to a place where we stop going down those roads? And I think part of what we see with Jonah helps us see that. Right. So verse 10, it says the men were exceedingly afraid and they said to him, what is this that you have done? 
For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. And then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. But he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea that the sea will quiet down for you. For an I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, for you have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. A couple things I want you to see there. We talk about how do we stop running? How do we see things for as they are and rest in who God is? And the first thing I want you to see is what happens to Jonah here in verse 11 and then 12 when he says to them, pick me up and throw me in. To get to a place of not running from God, we need to see the seriousness of our sin. And Jonah sees it for the first time. He looks around at these guys that are all going, we're all going to die. What do we do here? And he goes, you're in this situation because of me and my rebellion. You throw me in the water. And in some ways, I don't know what Jonah was thinking in the fullness of what he understood in that moment. But in some ways he was saying, I deserve to die for what I've done. Throw me in the water. You guys got to throw me overboard. You even see the the goodness of these guys, God's grace to them, even though they were far from God at the beginning of this, that they don't want to do that. They go, no, 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 we got to keep going. We don't want to do this. But then they end up throwing him in the sea. God allows that. And there it is, as you see this, this image of his sin and what it deserves. And so they throw him in the water. And so not only do we have to see the seriousness of sin, but we see what sin deserves. The cost that it takes to pay for sin. And so they throw Jonah in the water and suddenly it all stops. And they see that sin deserves a life. But that's what happened there. And so God does that in the in the midst of that, showing them the seriousness. And it's the same in our life. See, when we go to works based righteousness, I think I can do some things and I can add a whole lot of things and then God will accept me. I'm not seeing seeing the seriousness of my sin before a holy God. If I'm living in the delusion that I can earn my way by what I do, I don't understand the holiness of God. But if I go to the other extreme and I go, it's all grace, God's got it. And I can do whatever I want, then I don't see the seriousness of what it costs God to offer forgiveness. Here, in this story, they just see it in part. And what Jonah just saw in part. It says, pick me up and hurl me into the sea that it will quiet down. I know it's because it's on me. And then they rode harder and then they called out to the Lord. Oh, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you. Oh, Lord, have done as it has pleased you. And they throw him in. And what they couldn't understand at that time and what Jonah didn't understand at that time is the only way that we escape sin is because of innocent blood. Because one that would come later, who is the greater Jonah, 
Jesus shows up and he says, just as Jonah spent three days in the belly of a whale, I'm going to spend three days in the tomb. So that I could purchase your salvation, that I'm going to take your sin upon myself. Jesus would come and say, you throw me into the darkness and I will do it for you. I think they speak prophetically when they say, Lord, let there not be innocent blood. I read this so many times this week and not until five minutes ago do I see lay not on us innocent blood. I go, that's exactly what we've done. In Jesus, he takes our place. He is completely innocent in every way. And when we see that, it totally wipes out this idea that I can earn my salvation. If that was true, Jesus didn't need to come to die. And it completely wipes out this idea that Jesus has saved me my grace so I can do whatever I want. I can just continue to sin that grace may abound. I am making a mockery of what he's done when I do that. And it's only the gospel at the center of that that obliterates both of those. Don't want to be a works-based righteousness church. It's like do the right thing because it's the right thing. And I don't want to be a hyper-grace church that glosses over the seriousness of sin because that is not honoring to who God is and what He's done for us in Jesus. It is only at the heart of the gospel when the true Jonah comes that does what we can never do for us that we can stand in the middle of it. And that changes all of it in our, our motivation and the way we operate and what we do. We don't do it out of grace. We do it out of gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. My life is not mine, my own. I am bought with a price. You are a new creation with a spirit in you. And this is who God is and what he's forming in you. And you now get to live this way because God loved you that much. And anything short of that is making a mockery of the gospel. And so wherever you are, the good news and all that, every one of us is running at different places in your life. You can pretend like you're not. You can, I got it all together. There is some area in your life right now, either unforgiveness, maybe it's the way you're living in certain things. There's things that you're uncomfortable with that the Spirit is showing you. But the gospel frees you to confess your sin, say, God, I am missing it in this area. And you know what God says? I love you and I've forgiven you and I've got so much better for you. It's not condemnation. There is now condemnation for those who in Christ Jesus, we can rest in his finished work and it brings those things to light. And he now does this work. And so there's a glorious good news that you can stop running because of what Jesus has done and you can rest in his finished work and he continues to do those things in and through you. That is good news. It is the only way that we get to a place where we stop and we stop hiding and we stop running and we stop justifying. It's resting in what Jesus has done. But there's one last thing I'd say to you when he does that as jacked up as Jonah is. 
and all the things he does poorly. And God graciously pursues them and he shows them his sin and they throw him overboard. And then you get to the end and it says the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. These pagan sailors got saved because of this idiot Jonah that didn't do anything right. But just because God was gracious to him in his life. And so when we are running from God and God shows us those things and you go, man, but I'm a mess and I don't have everything together. And you receive God's grace and then God shows that for his glory and people come to faith and you go, but I'm a mess. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it glorifies and magnifies how wonderful Jesus is. That wonderful news that he uses us in the midst of that. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the good news. We thank you for the glory of the gospel. I thank you for the ways that you meet us in the midst of it. I pray right now uh, for each person here that you have brought to this place today as we spend time in your word. I pray uh, for healthy conviction of the Holy Spirit that you show us, you tell us, you promise us that the spirit comes and you convict us of sin. And you don't only convict us of sin, but you bring those things to light. And then you point us to Jesus and how he's paid for those things. And that grace changes us. And so I pray right now, if there's those that are holding back areas of their life that they're keeping, that they're they're living in that delusion that they can do it on their own, would you in your grace convict us of our sin and point us more fully to Jesus? That we would leave here today being overwhelmed by your grace in those areas of our life. That we would see more fully who you are and what you've done. We thank you. We pray all of it in Jesus' name. Amen.